Welcome to the podcast of River City Community Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.rivercitychicago.com. Lost or saved, find their way at the sound of your great name. All condemned, feel no shame at the sound of your great name. Everything has no place. Well, when I uh, transitioned out of the church I was working at, Willow Creek, and got ready to plant River City, I guess it was approaching 14 and a half years ago now. Um, you know, one of the convictions that had become really strong for me back then was that to know God fully, we need to hear from a lot of different kind of voices. I just think that's one of the dangers when you're around the same kind of people all the time, culturally, economically, educationally, whatever. You just tend to hear the same messages all the time, right? You tend to hear the same emphases all the time. You tend to get the same blind spots all the time. And so um, I really began to go on a much more earnest quest, one that should have begun much sooner than that, but on an earnest quest to begin to listen to and be influenced by voices from different backgrounds, different communities, learn from them. And so I would ask all my black friends who they were listening to, all my Latino friends who they were listening to, all my Asian friends who they were listening to. I remember when I was asking Asian friends, um, most of them were males that they were first saying. I'm like, do any of you listen to, you know, I'm not trying to put anybody on blast, but you guys listen to any females. And so when you got to that, every one of my Asian American friends said, oh, yes, yes, Dr. Grace G. Sun Kim. Dr. Grace G. Sun Kim. You've got to learn from her and start. She's a prolific author, um, national opinion leader. You know, she's on so many different things. And so that way back when I started uh, investigating her stuff, and you all know me a little bit, I, I like ride that line right between like where you can be perseverant and that can be noble and you can be too much and it's creepy, right? When you want to try to become friends with somebody, it's that you got to like stay on the right side of that line. So I do my best to stay on the right side. I'm not always sure I do, but so I basically tried to convince Dr. Kim she had to be my friend whether she wanted to or not. So, uh, so eventually um, that she reciprocated, we did become friends. And so I've um, um, been getting to follow her ministry and to be influenced for, for a long time. And so she just crisscrosses the country all the time. She lives in Pennsylvania. She's a professor of theology at a school in Indiana, just always traveling, speaking. I mean, just this week, she was uh, lecturing at DePaul all week. Then this morning did a radio interview on WVON. I just don't know how she keeps up with her pace. But we didn't actually try to get her. So we're in this series called Wide Awake, which is really looking at some of the ways that as we attempt to live into our identity of God as children of God, some of the ways that the social construct of race influences us and can help us in some ways actualize our identity, but also it can inhibit our ability to, to step into our identity. And so we didn't actually work it out. It wasn't intentional. It was basically an open invite. Anytime you're in Chicago, we'd love to have you speak. But it worked out that she was able to come here during the series. So I think it's going to be a really positive contribution to kind of some of the conversation we're having. And I'm just glad, you know, I'm always so excited to be able to introduce you all if you don't know her already. So will you give a super, super warm welcome to Dr. Grace G. Sun Kim? Well, thank you so much for the invitation. And thank you so much for that introduction. That's really heartwarming. And I don't know, I'm just overwhelmed this morning because when you ask for birthdays, actually it's my birthday this week too. <laughs> but I was shy, but I, I, if I knew you were going to sing that wonderful song, I would have put my hand up. <laughs> so I think they have to do it again and then include me. <laughs> but thank you so much. It's great to be here. Um, you know, pastors, I think sometimes we just take them for granted. You know, I've never been in a church in a long time where there's so many kids, so it's really good to see a lot of kids. I have three kids, but they're older now, 
But when they were younger, when my oldest was um, in grade five, in the summertime, he was um, doing this Hopkins summer program where you drop them off at eight in the morning, and then they can stay overnight, but it's really expensive. So we picked them up at uh, 9.30 or 10 at night. And there was one morning, so I'm a professor, one morning he said, Mom, I need a white T-shirt and a pair of shorts. And I was actually really busy that day after I dropped him off. And then when I picked him up, he said, did you get the white shirt and the shorts? And I said, no. I said, Mommy was really busy. Then he turned to me and said, what did you do all day? (laughs) And I think sometimes we feel like that. I don't think you do that to your uh, Reverend Daniel Hill, but sometimes we take pastors for granted And uh, we think they don't do anything until we see them Sunday morning. But we know he's super busy, and I think you should just thank him this morning. I think (laughs) just wonderful ministry, and I'm just so happy to see this type of ministry because you don't see it in many places. So I think you should be really uh, proud of your pastor and all the work he does besides the Sunday morning because (laughs) he's working all week long, uh, no matter if you see him or not, a lot of working. So I think I'm just grateful for what he does. And just I think this beautiful building, you know, it's just wonderful to be here and just be in your midst. Uh, We have scripture reading. I think it'd be up here. Okay. So it's from Matthew 22, from verse 15 to 21. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to the tra- laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity, and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites paying the tax. They brought him up me. Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. We'll have a short um, prayer. May you open our hearts. And open our minds that we may hear your word and receive your word and live by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when I'm I'm not a biblical scholar, but you know, as a theologian, we use Bible. And we know in, in many parts of the Bible we find that people are out to trap Jesus. Right? They're out to get him, and he is there trying to, you know, appease everyone and trying to not be trapped. So in today's passage, we kind of see him 
being trapped again. And I know you have lots of, there's a lot of little kids here, and I was actually hoping that they'll stay, but anyway, I'm sure they're they're learning something else in the other room. But you know, when I had kids, they liked to trap me too. And it's weird, because when I was a kid, my parents used to trap me too. In the sense that when my, it was always my dad, he would ask, I only have one sister, he would always ask us, who do you love more, mommy or daddy? <laughs> I don't know if you guys do that. I, I, I don't know. I, I think maybe it's just a Korean thing. A lot of Koreans parents, Korean parents do it because I know I wasn't alone. So it was like a trap. You know, he was trying to trap us. Who do you love more, mommy or daddy? And if I say mommy, he gets furious. <laughs> So it's a little trap. So I never do this, but then now I have three kids, and when they were younger, they would set a little trap for me too. So the trap was, the three of them would be sitting around, and they would say, Mommy, Mommy, and I would say, What? And they would say, Who do you love more? (laughs) Do any of your kids do that to you? Oh, they do? Okay. So I'm not alone in that one. They used to do that to me a lot. They used to say, who do you love more? And I would say, I love you all equally. And I know as parents, there's always someone you love more. But anyway, we don't don't need to get into that this morning. But anyway, I would say, I love you all equally. And they would say, no, 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 pick one, pick one. And I said, I'm not going to pick because I love you all equally. And they said, pick one. It's going to be okay. It's, it's all right. Just pick one. <laughs> and they would pressure me. It's a trap. And then I would eventually say one. I don't know who I would say, but I would say one. And then they're all crying. <laughs> they said, you love him or you love her more. And they'd be crying and crying. And I said, well, you guys asked me. It's a trap. And here we find Jesus in a little trap. It's a catch-22 situation. You know, it's a really hard question. So they're there to trap Jesus. And it's about, you know, do we pay taxes or not? I don't know about you, but I have no idea what the U.S. tax system is. So luckily, my husband just does everything, and I I just, like, whatever. (laughs) Any mail that comes, I just give to him. I have absolutely no clue, and I think it's just better that way because then I don't have to... It's just one less thing for me to worry about because I worry about everything else, but that's one thing I um, don't have to worry about. So here, they're trying to trap him and say... Do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And if you know anything about that time, um, they were under the Roman uh, Empire, the Roman rule, and these people were paying a lot of taxes, unnecessary taxes. And maybe you may feel the same today, but, you know, I grew up in Canada. I'm a Canadian citizen. Now I'm a U.S. citizen too. But every time I hear Americans complain about taxes... Actually, it's nothing compared to the Canadian tax. 
They say in Canada you have to work until July. Well, you work until July, and then you make money for yourself. So the first half of the year, you're just making enough money to pay back to the government. But anyway, some of us don't mind paying taxes, but others may complain a little bit. But here, you know, they were paying a lot of taxes, so they were going to trap Jesus and see what he's going to say. So he says, bring me the coin. So they bring you the coin. And actually, I don't use coins. I don't even know who's on our American coin. (laughs) I know on the Canadian coin we have Queen Elizabeth, but I don't even know who's on the American coin because I never carry any coins around, hardly ever. So they give him the coin, and he says, whose image is on this? Jesus says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And then, you know, if he stopped there, that would have been fine. But he went on and he said, give to God the things that are God's. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. I think that's a very good answer, isn't it? It was a trick question, and the way, whatever way he was going to answer, either the Roman soldiers could have arrested him or got really mad at him, or those, the Jews who were listening, could have been mad at him. But he answered by saying, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. There's a very famous um, homiletics professor, a professor who used to teach preaching. And uh, when I was um, in school, you know, somehow I got a cassette tape. I think some of you are so young, (laughs) you may not even know what a cassette tape is. But then if you've, I I don't know, there's a really popular show called 13 Reasons Why. Has anyone seen it? Yeah, it's so popular with kids, so I had to watch it with my daughter, and I was really dark. But in that TV series, they have a cassette tape, and they're all listening to this cassette. And I thought, wow, people still have those around, (laughs) the cassette tape. But anyway, as a student, I was listening to the cassette tapes of Fred Craddock. And there's a story that he likes to tell, and he's told it several times, and others have retold this story. So I think I'll like to share this story that Fred Craddock used to, teach, uh, used to share. And it was a story when he was kind of um, on a holiday up in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, And he was in a restaurant, and he kind of sat down, and then someone came and said, could I sit with you? And, you know, it was kind of awkward. But he says, I want to tell you a story. So this man starts telling a story to Fred Craddock. And the story was, he said, there was a little boy who grew up near the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. And this little boy was born of an unwed mother, an unwed mother. And it was really hard growing up at that time with an unwed mother. He said wherever he went, people would ask him, 
who is your father? Who is your daddy? So when he went to school, kids made fun of him, and he would eat by himself. He would play or hide during recess time so that kids wouldn't make fun of him. When he went into the grocery stores, people would look at him and try to figure out who his father was. And he said it was really, really hard growing up as a child of an unwed mother. It was a small town. And in that small town, there was a new pastor that came in. And everybody loved this new pastor. So he thought, why don't I go check him out? So he would come into church late so that no one would talk to him. And then he would leave early so that no one would talk to him. And he would avoid shaking hands with the pastor. So he did that Sunday after Sunday. And he thought, wow, this is a great preacher. And he loved going to church. So much so that one Sunday he forgot to leave early. And he had realized that the service had ended and people were on the aisle. And he couldn't get his way out. So he had to wait in line. Everybody was shaking the pastor's hand. And he was dreading the moment that he's going to see the pastor and meet the pastor. As he got closer and closer, he started sweating. He didn't know what he was going to do because everybody made fun of him. Everybody wanted to know who his father was. As he inched his way there, it was his turn. So he had his head down, and he shook the pastor's hand. And then the pastor then asked, who is your father? And this little boy said, oh, no. Even at church now, the pastor's going to ask me, who is my father? And the boy didn't answer. And the pastor asked again, who is your father? And the little boy didn't answer. The pastor put his hand on the shoulder and said, Hmm, I know who your father is. I see a striking resemblance. And this little boy is now terrified because this pastor is saying, I know who your father is. And the pastor went on to say, I know who your father is. He says, you are a child. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. He said, go and claim your inheritance. And he said, this this little boy, he said, that made all the difference in the world for him. Someone telling him that he is a child of God. This man's name is Ben Hooper, and he was a former governor of Tennessee. You know, I think today in our political climate, you know, we get so afraid of people that look different from us. Right. I um, I was born in Korea and I immigrated. Our family immigrated in 1975, so I started kindergarten, and uh, we immigrated to Canada. So I lived in London, Ontario, 
which is a small little city two and a half hours from Toronto. And it's a very white city. So growing up from kindergarten in the 70s was really, really hard. Everybody made fun of me. You know, at that time, people just didn't know who I was, and they wouldn't even ask me who I was. They kept asking me, what are you? They had racial slurs for me every time I went to school. And it was really hard growing up as an Asian immigrant, particularly if it's a really white city. And whenever I told them I was Korean, these kids would say, there's no such thing as Korean. They said, there's Chinese and there's Japanese, but there's no such thing as Korean. So then I would go home and crying, and I would say, I don't think we're Korean. Because everybody at school told me there's no such thing as Korean. And my parents said, you're Korean. We're from Korea. So it's hard. And every time I think of that, you know, it, it, it breaks my heart of just the racism and all the difficulties when people are afraid of you or don't know how to treat you because you look different. And I think we see that today. We do that as, 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 either as individuals or as communities or even as a nation. We get scared of people who look different from us. You know, for whatever color you are, we have labels for that. And I don't need to remind you what those labels are. But we do label them. And we hear it in the news. We see it on social media. We get so afraid. I don't know why we get so afraid. Especially if we are all created in God's image. It doesn't matter if we're old or young, tall or short, have light, nice long hair like me, or no hair. It doesn't matter. You know, as we age, we get wider and wider, but it doesn't matter what our size is. Because we're all created in God's image. And that should make all the difference in the world for each one of us sitting here. Whatever ethnicity, whatever heritage that we have, that we are created in God's image. And if we can then share that with everybody around us, our family and our neighbors, that should make all the difference in the world. And as I sat there and you know, I, I love the band here. And if this band has a CD, please give me a copy of your CD. Um, if you don't have one, you should make one. I, just, I can listen to the band all day. So just listening and just seeing this is the body of Christ. How it's so multicultural. This is the body of Christ. Where people who are so different can come together and worship, thank God, pray together, pray for one another. That's what the body of Christ is. You know, in Scripture, it tells us that we are to be the salt and the light. 
And if we understand that we are the child of God, understanding that we are the salt and the light should make a difference in how we live. And when I see River City, I see that this church is the salt and the light. I'm no scientist, although I used to like science, but I don't know anything about science anymore. But, you know, we, salt is such an important thing, isn't it? You know, my grandmother who um, lived during the Korean War, hardly any food, but she would add salt to the rice to give it flavor because that was basically all that they had to eat. So this plain rice, so you add salt. So we know salt, you know, you can use it to season in your cooking. And I know Chicago, you get a lot of snow. About four years ago, when you had that big, epic storm in January, I forget what you guys called it. What was it called? Yeah, I was here. And I was supposed to be gone in two days. Every day I got a text message saying my flight is canceled. I had to stay an extra week because <laughs> I couldn't get out of Chicago. So we know if there's a lot of snow, you, you put that salt on the ground. During the time of Jesus when there were no refrigerators, I got a nice tour. Um, your pastor gave me a nice tour of the church. I love your refrigerator. I want that kind of a refrigerator. Wow. So, you know, back then we didn't have, they didn't have refrigerators. So they were eating a lot of fish. They had to salt the fish so that it would preserve. The listeners of Jesus knew the importance of salt. Salt's used to make our paper. It's used in our fertilization and, and farmers use salt. Salt is so important. And when Jesus talked about be the salt, it's being important and useful. I've got three kids. The first two are kind of overachievers. And maybe it was partly me because I pressured them. But then, you know, when you get to your third child, it's like, whatever, right? (laughs) By then, you're just so tired that as long as they eat and go to school, you know, you're just happy. But now he's getting a little older, and I'm, like, getting a little nervous, right? So I like to say to him, can you be a little bit more useful? (laughs) I never had to say that to my two older ones, but my younger one, it's like, can you be a little bit more useful? He's probably sick of me telling him that. But, you know, we're supposed to be useful. The salt. Jesus said, when it's not useful, you throw it away. It's useless. He's telling all of us to be useful in whatever form, in whatever ministry that you're engaged in, with the children, teaching or the music or preaching, whatever it may be, that we be useful. Because once we realize we are a child of God, that's going to make all the difference in the world. We are to go and claim our inheritance. We are to be the salt. Being the light. Jesus said, be the salt and the light. We never put our light light on and then cover it up. What a waste of electricity or what a waste of a candle. 
The light is to shine. Give life to others. We, you know, we all need light. Without light, we can probably die because there'll be nothing growing in this place. Be the salt and the light. You know, the first part of the passage when they were asking him about the coin, and he says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And then he reminds us, give to God what is God's. So if we are all children of God, whether we are Asian, African-American, Hispanic, Native American, mixed, white, or other, I don't know, there's another slot these days, Whatever we are, if we are the child of God, we give back to God what belongs to God. We give back our lives. And whatever gifts that God has given to us. So that's a good reminder for us because sometimes, you know, we get really wrapped up in our own things. You know, when you're in school, I know some of you guys are teachers or even professors. I don't know. But you, sometimes when you're a student and a teacher asks you a question, like a very simple question, you don't want to put your hand up because you know it's a trick question, right? <laughs> so every time there's like something obvious and they're asking you, you just put your hand down. And that's usually what I do put my head down. So in one of my courses, um, it was actually in my doctoral course, the professor just asked one day, you know, you all preach, I mean, you all say the Lord's Prayer. So when you're saying the Lord's Prayer, that part where you come to where you pray, let thy kingdom come, he said, what does that mean? You know, majority of those students are all like pastors and, or, you know, doctoral students. So it's, it sounded like a trick question to me. So I put my head down and I'm like, please don't ask me because I know I'm going to have the wrong answer. So some people answered and he's like, that's not the answer I'm looking for. <laughs> and, you know, there's. There could be several answers to this. But every answer that everybody gave, he says, no. He kept asking us. He goes, what does it mean when we pray, let thy kingdom come? I'm like, please don't ask me. And thankfully, he didn't ask me because I knew, well, I, I, I didn't have the answer he was looking for. Nobody had it. And he says, okay, I'm going to tell you what it means when you pray, when we all pray, let thy kingdom come. And for some reason, I can't forget what he told me, and this was probably 20-something years ago. He said, when we pray, let thy kingdom come, it's essentially saying and praying, let my kingdom go. You know, let my kingdom go. We have politicians building their own kingdom. <laughs> But it's not just them. We build our own kingdom. We, come, we become greedy, and we build it out. We build it out. We build our own little kingdoms, and we get upset if someone's going to topple our little kingdom. 
We build it so much that we don't want to give back to God what belongs to God, even our own lives. In however way God has called us to give back our lives. So many different forms of ministry, and I'm sure so many of you are engaged in those types of ministry. Let thy kingdom come means let my kingdom go. We have to be less greedy. We have to let go. And these days I think a lot about the Holy Spirit. And as we let go and as we kind of surrender our lives, we allow the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and work in our lives. So much work to be done. And your pastor is like working overtime. So much work to be done in this neighborhood or where, whichever neighborhood that you live or you teach or you work or wherever, whatever thing you're doing. So much work to be done. So today's passage reminds all of us and me to give back to God what belongs to God. Let us bow our heads and pray. Gracious God, we celebrated Easter a few weeks ago, and you gave your son to die on that cross for us. We thank you that you gave your son so that we may have eternal life. You have given us so much, so many talents and gifts, so many things that you've given to us. Help us to give back to you all the time and give back cheerfully, give back with our whole heart. For we are all created in your image and you have made us so beautiful. Help us to love those whom we find so difficult to love. Forgive us for not loving them out of fear and out of laziness. Forgive us for not doing your work. Today, with renewed spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may do your work wherever you have sent us. Thank you so much for loving us. Help us to love each other. Help us to be the salt and the light. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.